This is Rise Above Radio on KOKC. All right, welcome back to the show. We also have the Facebook Live going at KOKC Radio. You can like the page, leave your comments there as well. Joey Perea is still in the studio, man. He joined us in the first hour. We have the video up on Facebook, so if you miss any of Joey's story and all that, uh, you can you know check it out there and, and get caught up and all that. But uh, Tim Ryan is joining us. Uh, he's on the phone, but before we get to Tim... This is from uh, his website, Tim Ryan Speaks. And I'm telling you, the guy, he's an author. He has a book, From Dope to Hope, uh, A Man in Recovery. But I just wanted to play this audio. This is a little bit of uh, well, what I listened to. And uh, I, there wasn't a dry eye when I listened to it, man. Listen to this. I struggled with addiction my whole life. Started drinking at 14, experimented with cocaine at 15. Checked myself into treatment at 21. And I can remember a guy coming in and talking and saying, one of you will be sober in a year. There was 38 of us. I said, what are you talking about? He said, one of you will be sober. I said, what do I do? He said, don't drink and go to those 12-step meetings. So I did, but I never grasped recovery, and I bounced in and out, cocaine, alcohol, other drugs. I'd been sober a year, um, but not working a recovery program, and I took a guy to Chicago to move out of his apartment. His roommate was doing heroin. He offered me one bag. I didn't have the coping skills or or knowledge to say no. I thought I could do one bag, that's all it took. That one bag took me down a 12 year road to absolute hell. Uh, Number of county jails, Illinois Department of Corrections twice. Uh, Probably spent upwards of a million and a half dollars on my heroin habit in 12 years. Robbed quality time from my wife, my four kids, and, and ultimately took my 20 year old son's life. December 16th of 2010, I'd overdose while I drive and hit two cars, put four people in the hospital. I knew I was going to prison. When you don't have opiates, you're profusely sick. I was sick one day in the bathtub. My 17-year-old son, Nick, walked in. He said, what's wrong, Pops? I looked at him. I said, what do you think, you idiot? I'm dope sick. And he said, not anymore. And my son left two bags of heroin on the counter. So I got out. I did him. I went in his room. And I said, Nick, what are you doing? He said, don't worry, Dad. I'm just selling a little bit. I said, Nick, you know what this drug has done to me. My son looked at me. He said, well, Dad, you're a successful drug addict. I said, why would you say that? He said, you got a nice house, got an office in the Wrigley building, you make money. Three months later, my son and I were doing heroin together. Uh, we became partners in crime, chaos agents. That's how Nick and I bonded. Ultimately was sent to prison. He was in treatment again while I was in prison. I came out 13 and a half months later. He ended up in treatment again. I went and met with him. Uh, I was 18 months sober. We talked about all these wonderful things we were gonna do. 30 days later, he's back in jail. I talked to him five days out and offered him some Narcan, which reverses the effects of an opioid. Don't worry, Dad, I'm not on that. Two days later, he was dead. You know, and he had snorted two bags of heroin and ate a bar of Xanax. People have this misconception, well, I'm just snorting a little bit, it's not gonna kill me. Uh, most of the people are dying from snorting the heroin today because it's so pure. And if you mix it with alcohol or benzos, it's going to shut down your respiratory system and you're going to die. So, you know, I try to live God's will and Nick's will to the best of my ability today. Since my son passed on a little over 16 months ago, I've helped 35 of his friends or acquaintances get into treatment. And just pushes me to dig deeper every day to help more people. This is my life's calling now. My motto is I'm taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. Man, amen, huh? Yeah, what a powerful story. That's from, uh, you can watch the video of that on TimRyanSpeaks.com, but we do have Tim Ryan on the phone. Uh, brother, I know you're super busy, and I, I we appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join us on Rise Above, man. No problem, no problem. Just uh, flew in from Texas and got home about 15 minutes ago. That's so I, 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 I timed accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> I told him in the studio, I was like, yeah, and because I know the next, uh, I'll eat couple of weekends you're slammed you travel a lot uh you know on your website timryan.com timryanspeaks.com you can find out all the things that you're plugged in on but you uh you're an advocate in so many different ways for uh recovery and stuff man what, what uh, organizations are you are you all are you working with at the moment so i do a number of things my full-time job i'm national director of outreach business development for transformation treatment center out of delray beach florida i'm executive director and founder of a man in recovery foundation which is a not-for-profit we guide and direct indigent people into treatment 
Uh, we'll pay for people to get into sober homes, things along those lines. Wow. Um, obviously, I have Tim Ryan Speaks. I speak all over the country on the opiate epidemic. I'm an advisor to Rehab.com. I'm uh, an advisor and lead interventionist with Interventions.com. So, yeah, I do a few different things. Yeah. And I'm a, a husband and got a bunch of kids and a father and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 Man, I, I want to go back to, uh, well, I just can't imagine how, how how hard it's been for you. What keeps you going, Tim Ryan? What keeps you, you mm-hmm. what keeps the message going in, in you? You know what, it, it, it's, that's a great question because people think I've got this glamorous life. Oh, you get to speak all over, you're on TV, you're in all these publications. I deal with more death and destruction and heartache. And, and when I walk into a home uh, or talk to a family, you're, 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 that sickness is coming into you. But it's when I, I get the messages through one of my Facebook groups or, or a text message. I just had a lady post up the other day, I got my son your book, and my son just celebrated a year sober. Your book changed his life. Um, I've got six months sober. I was doing a speaking event about six months ago in Indiana, and this lady, young lady, is standing there with the sign, I'm sober today because of you. And her backstory was nine months earlier, her fiancé had died from a heroin overdose. They were doing heroin together. Somehow she got a hold of me. My foundation sent her to a place in South Carolina for four months, and she was back in town and and living life. I actually just received a message from her. Um, She's now working for a treatment center. It's the things like that, you know, because there's a lot of people that do grasp this and turn their lives around and become productive members of society. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately we live... uh, well, a good friend of mine um, from an organization here in Oklahoma City, they say uh, that addiction is the modern-day leprosy because the stigma, man, they, you know, if you have cancer, we're going to get you treatment. We're going to find out whatever it is that we can help you out with. But still, the 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 stigma on addiction is that you're flawed. Something's wrong with you. I what am, is it? I am so sick and tired of it. I mean, where I live in Naperville, Illinois, I mean, this town was just rated the top town in the country to raise a family. It's nice. upper middle class. I live three blocks from the, the local hospital, and if somebody goes through there with an overdose, they're out of the door in two hours, mm-hmm. unless they have good insurance. And, you know, the guy who eats too many cheeseburgers has a heart attack. They treat him with love and grace. Mm-hmm. He gets out, he eats more cheeseburgers, has another heart attack. They're going to treat him with love and grace. The gentleman or female that starts smoking, knowing it's going to give them cancer, they get lung cancer. They are treated with dignity, love, and grace until the day they die. But if you're an addict or an alcoholic, it's just uneducation. Oh, you made that choice. It's your fault. Believe me, I never in a million years wanted to be an alcoholic or drug addict. I wanted to be a professional water skier and a stuntman. Right. I never right. wanted to right. struggle with addiction. Right. What... Uh what do you say? What do you say to someone that says uh, the the opioid is just it's not you know it's not that big of an issue? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Read, read read my book. You'll see. Right. And I mean, ninety five percent of the people that get into opiate addiction never get clean and sober. Wow. And wow. and I tell people you're you're not unique. I one of my dear friends, Brandon Novak, who. Uh, He's a little over three years sober. He was in all the jackass movies and Viva La Bam and a professional skateboarder at 14 and, and finally got sober. His sponsor had said the most powerful thing I've ever heard, and I use this with everyone I work with today. The best advice I can give you is don't take any advice from the last person you used with, and that's yourself. Because your best thinking keeps putting you in That's these good. bad situations. Yeah. And boom. It, it, sometimes it's just as simple. You know what? You're right. Um, but, you know, for me, I I hate that word functioning. I was high functioning. I had a high pain threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, I always worked. I always made a lot of money. But mm-hmm. that money I needed to fuel my, my alcohol, my cocaine, ultimately my heroin habit. But it robbed everything from me until I was sat down in a prison cell and and got humbled and my wife divorced me and lost our home and displaced my wife and kids and 
that's what it took me to get clean and sober, and you don't have to go to those lengths. You don't have to hit a, hit this bottom they talk about. You just got to drop the damn shovel and stop digging and surround yourself with the right people. Right. Amen, man. Yeah. Like, I, and each story, uh, each person's story is different. I mean, um, uh, you know, mine was just finally on a night, man, where I was, man, I was just completely, I don't, I was, I was void of any kind of hope and just in a place of numb. Cause you know, people say, how drunk were you? I don't know. I was past being drunk where I, the plan, what I was going to do, Tim, is there was a pond in my backyard. Um, I'd been drinking all day. This is probably the fourth day in a row that I had been drinking. You had to peel me off of my couch at this point. And, um, Anyway, I they had uh, done some construction by the pond in my backyard. They redid sort of a retaining wall, so there were big chunks of concrete. And so I figured if I can get one of those and actually walk into this pond, be drunk enough to really not be able to get out, then I'll cover myself up with this slab of concrete, and then the rest will manage, <laughs> right? And so, and so out on it, yeah. Or not, but you know what? The, what the here's the here's the mentality of an of an addict, man. Because I thought, well, I live close to a lake, and I thought I can drive out there, and I've got a tent, and I know that I'll get some more booze, and I'll and I'll just sit out there in the tent, and eventually maybe, well, no, 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 I'm drunk, and I don't want to drive because I'll be a responsible alcoholic. I don't want to drive. <laughs> so, so anyway, I uh, for but for me that was my rock bottom, man. I I um. I called nine one one and said, "I, you know, you guys got to come check on me. I don't know what's up." And then that was, and then I was moved to a, a mental place, and I was there for uh, just a, a couple of days, and then and then off we go. But yeah, everybody's rock bottom is different. You don't have to lose everything. You don't. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, like you're saying, no, you, you don't. But but it, it's much different today. I mean, I'm I'll be fifty next month, and I always had work ethic, and and you want something, you work for it. Mm-hmm. But this younger generation I see from 14 to 25, uh, a high entitlement, gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm-hmm. They know how to manipulate the parents, and it's just heart-wrenching. I mean, I'm seeing some people 10, 15 times, 20 times through treatment, and they're 22 years old. Right, right. yeah. It's, the, I, the whole system's broken. Right. I noticed on your... Uh on your page that it says that you go to high schools. That's one of the things that you do to speak there. Is there something that you tell those students in particular, these, these high entitled, you know, mm-hmm. because the generation is different than it used to be. It's, it's different. Well, I don't know you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that speak and, and everyone's got a story and, you know, you've got a, a 49, 50 year old guy coming into a high school and they're like, well, what's this guy? <laughs> I, I don't care Thanks, you know. where it is. You can hear a pin drop when I speak, but I'm not just telling my story. I'm hitting on the kids on, you know, bullying. And I'll ask mm-hmm. the kids, I'll say, who's been bullied here? And half the kids put their hands up and I'll say, you know what? Mean people suck. And if you're a bully, knock that stuff off. Mm-hmm. Because I was the kid that had learning disabilities and, and was picked on for being in the slow classes. But I became a bully. And there was a kid that would walk down the hall with his books, and I'd knock his books out of his arms every day. And one day we're out at Smoker's Corner, and he's kind of up against the building crying. I'm like, Kevin, what's wrong? And he said, Tim, why do you do this to me every day? And I said, I'm just looking to get a laugh. He said, yeah, but everybody's laughing at me. And it hit me, and I quit doing that. But, I mean, kids today are bullying through Instagram, through Facebook, through Snapchat. They take a picture of the kid with the purple hair. Hey, look at that whore in the purple hair, and everyone's laughing at them. And kids today are followers. They're not leaders. Right. And, and I empower the kids, be a leader, don't be a follower. I promise you, you're going to be a product of the five kids you associate with. So if you're hanging out with five kids, you know, doing mm-hmm. bogus stuff, but what really hits them is I'll, I'm always watching the audience, and I'll see a couple. And I'll, I'll pull them up, boyfriend and girlfriend, and, all right, so you're going to college. Yeah, I'm going here, and my boyfriend's going here, and I've got a scholarship for volleyball. And I'll say, you know, did you ever think of your boyfriend comes to pick you up for a date, and you get pulled over, and he's got some Xanax bars hidden in the car, mm-hmm. and the cops find them? Do you know you're both getting arrested and mm-hmm. that scholarship you can throw out of the window? Mm-hmm. They don't know these things. What else really blows my doors off is a good Samaritan law to where if somebody's in Illinois, at least if someone's overdosed and doing alcohol or drugs, you can call 911. They'll revive the person, take the drugs, and nobody gets arrested. Mm-hmm. 
the superintendents in the high schools don't even know about this law. Oh, and who's going to be experimenting the most? The high school kids. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and one, of, one of the key things I tell the kids is the best way to get out of doing drugs and the peer pressure is tell your friends that your parents drug test you. It, it shuts it. Oh, man. What do you mean yeah. your parents? What do you mean your parents <laughs> drug test you? Yeah. Well, forget him. He's a square and they spin right off. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a great way yeah. to put it. Yeah. Cause the- and, and you're right. Knowledge is power in this sense. The more things that the community knows, the students need to know you will go to jail with your mm-hmm. friend. I've, I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have my 20 year old son, Maxwell, speak, who travels the country with me. And Max will share and say, look, I, I'm not an addict. I, I smoked a little weed. I think I tried acid once. But let me tell you what it was like living with the father and a brother that were addicts. Yeah. And when my dad went to prison and we lost our home and, and what I had to do to cope in life. And I'm telling you, it gets kids talking. But in these schools today, 90% of the kids are smoking weed. Uh, more than half are doing Xanax. Um, three, uh, a third of them are doing heroin. Half of them are doing prescription pain pills. I mean, it's out of control. Yeah, man, uh, you know, Tim. Adderall's, Adderall's Mm -hmm. huge. Yep. Tim Ryan joins us on uh, Rise Above Radio, his website, timryanspeaks.com. From Dope to Hope is the name of his book. Uh, You know, Tim, I I have a friend of mine here, and and they told me the other day they have a, a, a toddler. Like five years old, fell out of a treehouse, broke their arm, right? Take him to the hospital. The nurse wanted to give this five-year-old uh, a Percocet and write mm. a prescription. And I went, you have got to be kidding me. And she's like, yeah, I was... And the parent was totally against it. Flabbergasted. Right. She's like, I went home, gave him a, a, a you know an Tylenol. ice cream Sunday and a Tylenol, and he was fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and that's the... the uh, what we see is the majority, you, you know, is that uh, prescription, young age... You, you know, like Austin Box was a football player here. He played at the University of Oklahoma. He overdosed um, uh, in May of uh, 2012, I believe it was. Oh, 2011, May of 2011. And it was, I think there were five different kinds of uh, prescription drugs that were in his system at the time. But he had played ball growing all the way up, man. And so it was, you know, injury after injury after injury. And, and it, that's the kind of the way. And is it fair to say that, you know, John Doe's scoring opiates off the street, or he gets a prescription from his doctor. He can't get the prescription anymore, so he buys them off the street. Then he can't mm-hmm. afford those. Then he turns to heroin. Is that a right kind of? Is that the correct way that sometimes that goes? A- a- absolutely. You know, a lot. A-, a buddy of mine, Randy Grimes, who who Randy works with me at Transformations. He was the center, played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for nine years, and he says, "Tim, my last two years in the Pro Football League." I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I was in a total blackout, and I would have to watch the videos the next day because they had him on so many meds. But take this, take this. But what happens is a lot of people, however they get on the, the prescription pain meds, they, they start getting expensive. It's a lot cheaper to go to heroin, and the heroin's so damn pure today, and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether I speak in Oklahoma, Idaho, Colorado, Rhode Island, Naperville, Illinois, hillbilly land it's everywhere mm-hmm. and what else what else is really on the uptick is is crystal methamphetamine mm-hmm. i mean that's off the hook right now i just posted an article on my facebook they just busted a lab in the mountains of mexico with 50 tons 50 wow. tons of methamphetamine wow not 50 pounds and that's, that's big here in Oklahoma as well. We have yeah. a oh, mess huge. problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and opioid as well. I mean, we've got an opioid task force. Crossroads of the United States. Yeah, I mean, there's I obviously mean, you yeah. know we talk about fentanyl and and just the other day, man, I was talking to somebody, um, and he said I was at the airport. I had my kids, my wife and kids with me at the airport. One of my kids saw a dollar bill on the floor. And it was all folded up like an origami thing, you know, whatever. And so my kids started to grab it. I was like, nah, you better not touch that. And so another family sat in the in the bench uh, by the dollar. The kid picked it up, opened it, and a powder fell right out wow. of the dollar. And so, man. I mean, yeah. oh, yeah. It's, it's just, it, it's everywhere. And the crazy thing is, even where I live in Naperville, do you know how many high schools I've spoken here? None. Mm-hmm. Not one. Wow. My, my hometown 20 minutes away, Oswego, Illinois, have not spoken to schools there. They don't want me in there because I'm the dad who did drugs with his kid and his kids. Oh they don't see all the other things I've done and who would be best to come in and speak me. And I'm real and I'm raw. And I, I tell it the way it is. Mm-hmm. 
And, and that's uh, what people need. You know, is... there's still so many people with their heads in the sand. Right. Not my family. Right. right. That's that's why I was uh, I was thinking is you know I could on this show we started this show in uh, in December and man I could have I could have a revolving door of people in lab coats mm-hmm. all day long. But it's not until man nobody speaks to another addict or nobody can mm-hmm. tell. In my opinion, nobody can tell you until you've been there and done that, man. Mm-hmm. And and especially with, you know, in Oklahoma, I know statistics show that uh, males are on average eleven years old the first time they take a drink of alcohol. Wow. Girls yep. are twelve or thirteen. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. Can, Which um, is scary to think. Hey Tim, this is. I mean, la- last year the average heroin addict was a twenty-two-year-old white middle-class female and a twenty-three-year-old white middle-class male. Man. And, and those numbers are going up now. Mm-hmm. But even I, I, when I do community forums at night, I tell parents, look, don't be that family that thinks it's cool to have a party and let your kids drink. I mean, yeah. times have changed drastically. Right. I'm Next Wednesday night, I'm going to speak to, I, I get a phone call, and the guy's like, hey, you know, we've got 30 Cub Scout Packmasters. Could you come speak to them about you know, keeping eyes out with the kids and what to look for. And I said, boy, you're going to enjoy this one. He said, why? <laughs> I said, well, I was a uh, assistant Cub Scout pack master for seven years. We ran 35 dens, and I shot heroin every day. Right. Wow. right. And he said, he yeah. said, what? But I said, mm-hmm. a lot of the things after the parades, they'd be going to one of the pack masters' houses, and all the parents are getting drunk. Mm-hmm. And that's what your kids are looking right. at and going to mimic and going to mirror. Exactly, exactly. That's a good point. Joey Perea is in studio with me, Tim, and he actually had a question for you. I want to talk to you. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Hey, Joey, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, this is, I'm, this, I don't know if you can even answer the question, but do you see a turnaround with the addiction? I mean, do you see things turning around for, for the better, or do you see this getting no. tougher? What, what do you see? God, no. It's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Yeah. No way. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. I mean, when I started doing this a little over four and a half years ago, you know, 119 people a day were dying. Today it's 179, or last year it was 179. That's just from opiates. You're not talking Mm -hmm. benzos, alcohol, meth, heart attacks. You're really looking Mm -hmm. at about 350 to 400 people a day dying. This isn't an epidemic. This is a pandemic, and we're doing nothing. The fentanyl that's coming in, it, this takes me back towards the Iran-Contra scandal and, and Alley North and the government bringing in all the cocaine. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, but there sure is a lot. Of, I can get on the dark web and order an ounce of fentanyl and have it sent to my house in two weeks for three grand. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, the uh, you were on Fox News uh, here recently, and on the afternoon show that I co-host uh, here on KOKC, we had played the audio, and I emailed you and said I was going to. But I, I loved, uh, uh, I loved your how you were saying it. You know, Trump administration they got to get a hold of guys like me because. Uh, and it wasn't anything for self gratification. It was just that, man, we got to no. find a solution for this. We have to figure Something's this out. Something's got to change. Obviously, it's scary. Yeah, for that was actually Mar- that was Martha McCullen. I I said, here's the problem with politics. And I was at the 2016 State of the Union address, and I'm friends with a lot of congressmen, Democrat, Republican. Hell, I can't tell you what the difference between a Democrat and a Republican is. I know my dad's a Democrat, and he hates Republicans. That's all I know. Simple as that. Um, But what the problem is, you have a bunch of people in suits that are business people or or highly well-educated, but they don't know a damn thing about addiction. Mm -hmm. I was at an event with Congressman Holkren, Randy Holkren, and the Surgeon General six months ago, and our Surgeon General is really good. But everything he's talking about, I've been talking about for four friggin' years. Mm -hmm. Why don't you have people that are in the trenches? I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I'm not going to sit here and talk clinical because I'm not a clinician. My job is to tell you what's working and what's not working. And a a three- to four-week model of treatment is another failure. It should be 90 days to six months. It should be a minimum of a year continued care from detox to inpatient to PHP to IOP to OP to structured sober living, especially for people. You you take a 22-year-old kid who has been doing Adderall since 12, smoking weed, doing everything else. In 30 days, he's going to be fixed? Mm. Are you out of your tree? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
the whole system's broken. Right. I was going to ask you, what do you think is like the next step besides, you know, getting into politics and stuff? Do you think there's something that p- parents can do at home? Because, for instance, I'm pregnant. And yeah. This is my wife, have... by the way, Tim. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Tim. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, I'm just, you know, it baffles me to think like we're raising kids in this generation and, and we're going to have to deal with this. And Well, you know, one of the worst things for kids today is technology. Um, parents need to be monitor- monitoring their kids' technology. I also do another program called The Cop and the Convict. I, I guess you can guess which one I play. Um, and, and my buddy Rich Wasaki is a retired detective, SWAT sniper. He's a cybercrimes expert. Wow. But if you want to know what your kids are up to, get into their technology. Mm. See who their friends are. Mm. Get into their Instagram. If their friends are posting pictures of bongs and dabs and stuff, mm. chances mm-hmm. are your kids are doing them. But what happens is there, people don't talk about this. And especially when a family member has someone struggling. I, I run these family support groups where I have the, the parents or aunt or uncle or husband, wife come with the person struggling at the same time. And I have parents that won't show up because they're afraid who's going to see them there. Right. And I tell people, you are worried about the wrong stuff. Right. You know, I don't care what the neighbors think. They don't pay my bills. They're not living in Mm -hmm. my house. Um, I'm very open. My 18 year old son, um, is struggling with depression and, and he's kicking Xanax again. And, you know, we sent him to a two weeks ago. I mean, here's, here's our system. I work in the treatment space. I have the best resources in the country. And my former wife, Shannon, drove our son two Fridays ago to this high-end mental health facility in the mountains of Tennessee. Ten-hour drive. I called the place Friday, and I said, look, our son knew he was coming, so Thursday he started eating Xanax, and he's eating them today. And they said, is he going to need detox? I said, absolutely not, but call his mother. She's a nurse. They call and said, all right, he'll be fine. We'll keep an eye on him. They get there at 930 at night, and the nurse on site says, no, he needs to go to detox. And my former wife says, well, I'll take him. And no, he's our client. We'll take him. Mm -hmm. She goes to her hotel. They take him to a hospital. Two hours later, they transfer him to another hospital. And my son starts calling me. He's like, Dad, they just got me in a room. I don't know what's going on. Eight in the morning, Tanner calls me and says, Dad, they've discharged me. They said they don't have any beds and detox. I need to find somewhere else to go. I said, what do you mean you need to find somewhere else to go? I said, where is the person that brought you? I don't know. He's not here. He left. Mm -hmm. So I called Shannon. and I said, pick up Tanner. An hour later, the treatment center calls me and says, oh, we want to let you know your son's safe in detox at this hospital. I said, no, he's not. (laughs) He got transferred from that hospital to another hospital. Your guy left him there. He's mm-hmm. suicidal standing out in front of the hospital because mm-hmm. he is discharged. Yeah. That's what happens in the industry today. It, yeah. It's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, in a, in a big, uh, and it happens all over the country, We, but but here in, in Oklahoma City, what I see a lot is the is the veterans, man. The veterans, they're not, you know, they don't want to go to the VA, the veterans hospital here. They don't want to be put on the same floor as, uh, you know, those that maybe have like dementia or, or things like that. It's not, uh, from what are my observance, I've never been in the military but i know a lot of people that have but it's like they don't want to go there and there's not a system to really detox these cats man they just have them on the floor well, you know you know it's funny you bring that up because with what i do for a living i get job offers every week mm-hmm. i could work for mm-hmm. damn near any treatment center in the country mm-hmm. and the reason i work for transformation is we have a specific veterans program we have a specific first responders mm-hmm. We have a Christian base. We have a 12-step base. We have 75 different types of groups people can attend. They're going to meetings. I mean, it's, there's gender-specific. That's why I work there, but we have one of the biggest veterans programs in the country. Nice. They need to be worked with and have the clinicians as former veterans so they can understand what they're going right. through and master level and trauma-certified and most right. of these places say, oh, we're co-occurring, uh, we do dual diagnosis. No, you don't. Mm. Can you see your therapist every day? When my son was in this local treatment center five times, he saw a therapist two times in a 30-day stay for wow. a half an hour. Yeah. All the rest of it is sitting in a group listening to war stories. That's right. not treatment. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no. Hey, we obviously are doing the Facebook Live, and... Uh, 
uh, Bat, this uh, Bat Masterson says, big pharmaceutical companies want us to be addicted. They're creating forever customers, which, man, you know, we in here in Oklahoma, we... Which why what's, is why there's a lawsuit now. I mean, we did yeah. one locally here. Our AG was doing a lawsuit. And now Trump's got a lawsuit against opioid companies. So yeah. I think it is interesting. Yeah. That, and, uh, well, he... he- Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm saying, and Jim Meacham says that you, you speak about various off-ramps from the opioid uh, highway. So, I, I mean, look at the company, Rickert, that makes Suboxone. I mean, they have a lock on it. They've patented it to where people can't have generic versions. There's mm-hmm. a, a major lawsuit against them right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm all for... Uh, medically assisted treatment, whether it's methadone, it's Suboxone, it's Vivitrol, it's it's harm reduction. But Mm -hmm. my point is I ultimately want to get someone to an abstinence-based lifestyle, and and it's all about the money. There was a treatment center in Massachusetts that was just sued because all these people had insurance, but they were making the people cash pay. Mm-hmm. when they didn't bill their insurance because it's all about the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's what it's about. And on the flip side, though, people are like, well, treatment should be free. No, nothing's free. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I get people, well, you, you need to scholarship this. I just had oral surgery, and I've got some dental implants. I mean, should I tell my periodontist, hey, will you scholarship this? <laughs> hey, I need to- you know, I need a new transmission in my truck. I was wondering if you could scholarship this for me. Right. I, I, I need to go. I had some skin cancer on my ear. Hey, would you scholarship cutting part of my ear off? Right. I know it's the $25,000 surgery, but everyone thinks treatment should be for free. Right. And it's, it's not free. And it costs a lot of money to employ good people, and the insurance companies are dropping the rate. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's chaos out here. Right. So, but but then there's a uh, I send a lot of people to to peer driven programs after treatment to truly get in, in engulfed in the twelve steps. Um, I've got other pl- programs that are year long if people want to do the Christian based track. Mm-hmm. But man, you've got a treatment's just the beginning. It's what you do when you get out of there. And, mm-hmm. Amen. I heard a, a buddy wow. buddy of mine says that he, when he got out of treatment, he didn't have a plan afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like a now what? And he's like, I he equates it to a, a, being a baby giraffe. He didn't know how the heck mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, right. go to, back to living with kids. I mean, yeah. he had kids and it's a like, wife to take care of now, and it's working a program yeah. in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, you know, that's what happened to me in 1990 when I went to this really nice place called Parkside Lodge. It, was like a little hazel thin, and, and I liked treatment, and all they said was go to meetings and get a sponsor. Right. So I'd go to those 12-step meetings and put my hand up and say I'm looking for a sponsor, and nobody would pick call me, and I'd be like, yes, I got away with it again. <laughs> because nobody, nobody instilled in me why wow. I need a sponsor right. or a mentor. What truly live in recovery is, I was in... Austin, Texas, yesterday, and I was able to go speak at a place called Recovery Unplugged, which is uh, a huge music component. Mm -hmm. And as I was outside talking to about 30 of the clients, I said, I will give you $100 right now if any one of you can answer this question. Why do you work a 12-step-based program? Oh, to find God, to get right. And I said, yeah, all that stuff's in there, but the real reason you work a program is so you can take somebody else through the steps. That's a miracle. Mm. You have to mm. give it away to keep it. That's, That's what keeps you grounded. But I can't mm-hmm. take anyone through the steps if I haven't went through them with a sponsor with long-term recovery and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know, but nobody's right. teaching this or instilling it. What do you say to that? Tim, what do you say to that guy that's like, nah, I don't need, I don't need help. I don't need, what, that one guy that's still out there that's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't, it'll never happen to me. Alcoholic, it'll yeah, never happen to me. addict. You know, it's funny. I've I've done about 1,500 interventions. I've had seven people not go to treatment. And all those seven ultimately ended up getting arrested for DUI or drugs and went to jail. Mm -hmm. Because it's just a matter. And I tell them, look, you're not unique. Um, (laughs) It will eventually happen, whether Mm -hmm. it's tomorrow or the next day, or your wife is going to leave you, Mm -hmm. or you're going to get a DUI, or you're going to die. And dying Mm -hmm. from alcoholism is a a very painful death. Dying from a heroin overdose isn't. I mean, you fall asleep and you die. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
this relapse is part of recovery. That's the biggest bunch of hogwash in the world. Um, <laughs> you're either in recovery or you're not. And with opiates and benzos and fentanyl, if, if that's your drug of choice and you relapse, chances are you're going to die. Right. You have two choices. You either get sober or you're going to die. You mm-hmm. might pass jail in the interim, but those are your three options. Right. What do you want to do? Yeah. Right. and I mean, and I, I was... You know, and I'll have twenty months on the on the twenty second, and, and and you'll never hear me ever ever. If it if these words come out of my mouth, mouth my wife will trust me. She'll let me know. But I'll never say I haven't figured out because oh no. man, that's what I'm asking for trouble. But for me, it was like a complete denial about it, and that it was it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, man. It is a big deal. We you know we, we the show we do uh, we we want to spread hope, and we talk about the awesomeness that is a recovery community, but we still. We want it, man. If I can leave the 99 for that one dude, if we can inspire that one person, it's yeah. still out there, man. Uh, because it's it's a, it is a life or death. People are dying from it. You know, like Tim was saying, he's he's got all kinds of different things uh, on social media, and and he and he he works in this all the time. But just the other day, man, I saw somebody post and say, you know, prayers for this uh, this lady's daughter. A lady overdosed on heroin. Uh, she's she leaves a seven year old daughter and that kid's mm. dad overdosed from heroin six months earlier. Oh my gosh! It's like yeah, I mean, is... it's, I I I have a eleven year old kid coming to my house tomorrow by the name of Keegan, mm-hmm. and Keegan called me two and a half months ago and he says, "Is this Tim Ryan?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "With the Man of Recovery Foundation." I said, "Yep." And he said, my name's Keegan, and I want to do a 5K walk, run, and raise money for your foundation. Wow. And I said, well, that's wonderful, Keegan. Why do you want to do that? And he said, because my dad died from a heroin overdose. And I said, Keegan, I'm in. Two hours later, his mother called me and said, Tim, you need to understand something. We knew nothing about this. Keegan researched you. He found you. He put together this business plan, and he called you. are you okay doing this? I said, heck yeah, let's blow this thing through the roof. But here is an 11-year-old kid mm-hmm. reaching out to me to raise money to help other people because his father died from a heroin overdose. Wow. It's awful. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's heartbreaking. And it's the things like that that push me to work harder, to do more, to help more people. And I tell people, my, my former wife, when we were at the hospital, we, we ran in and, and said, we're here to see Nick Ryan, our son, he overdosed. And 30 seconds later, the chaplain walked out. Mm-hmm. I knew Nick was dead. Wow. And a couple hours later, I mean, we're, we're, we're in there with him. And, and Shannon looked at me and she says, I hate God, F God. He didn't answer mm-hmm. my prayer. Mm-hmm. And I said, Shannon, what I'm going to say is going to sting, but you need to listen to me. I said, maybe God did answer our prayers. It's just not the answer we're looking for. And two weeks later, we had lunch. And my former wife, who I had been with for 18 years, looked me dead in the eyes. And she said, Tim Ryan, for once in my life, I'm behind you a thousand percent. She said, I thought about what you said in the emergency room. And when I met Shannon, Nick was three. I adopted him and we had three other kids. And I was adopted. So Nick was my son. Mm -hmm. And she said, I truly believe God put Nick and I in your life for a reason. Had you go through your struggles, had Nick go through his, for Nick to pass on to set the stage for what you're going to do next. She said, Tim, the past 30-plus years of your addiction have been your training ground for what you do today. And that's what I absolutely believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Man, as you, uh, you know, what's interesting is as you were talking, I was sitting there thinking, uh, you know, once in the heroin hall of fame, but now in the ring of recovery, man, mm. like you're a champ, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, and, and I got to stay humble. I, I just received some message from some lady on LinkedIn saying she wants to nominate me for what the heck is this thing? I can't keep track of all this stuff, but nominate me for, uh, I don't know, some goodwill ambassador of the year or something. And yeah. That's cool and all. And, and it's great, but I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. But I have the avenues, and that's why yeah. when I get on Fox Business News or CNN or, you know, my, my documentary they did on A&E called Dope Man, and if people haven't seen it, you can get it on Amazon Prime. It's called Dope Man. Oh, I think awesome. they charge you for they charge you four ninety five. I do not make a dollar <laughs> on it. But it shows you a day in the I'm life upset. of what I do, and... This isn't easy, and everybody, oh, I want to do what you do, and I say, great, go to prison, <laughs> everything, 
get out, have your son die, stay sober, and you can do what I do. And wow. shut man. Them up right away. And the staying sober thing, you know, I uh, in part of my journey, man, is is um, I had one year when I got one year uh, sober, uh, Tim. I, my best friend, one of my best friends, gave me my coin and yada yada and all that, man. And uh, but my my father, the very next day, my dad changed his address to heaven, and mm-hmm. uh, it was unexpected and everything. Wow, but. Finding, I live by the motto of finding peace in the pain, man. Because mm-hmm. I got, I have to stay humble, and I, you know, stay humble or you will stumble. I guarantee it, man. Right. If, you, if you don't stay humble, you're going to trip up, and and it's all. But that's like you're well, saying, man. I got, I have to stay. You know, just, you said something just profound there. There's peace in the pain, and when I have oof. people that don't understand addiction, I send them to YouTube and I say, look up a gentleman by the name of Gabor Mate. Um, Dr. Mate has been working with people that struggle with addiction for 40-plus years out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And he says, look, when I meet with someone struggling with addiction, I don't say why the addiction. I ask why the pain. Mm -hmm. He said it all has to do with some form of trauma, emotional, mental, spiritually, physical, sexual. And basically what he says is you ultimately have to learn to live with that pain and and have connection and learn to walk through it but so many people whatever happened to them in the past they want it to go away it's not going to go away but what it's going to do is give you the tools and the foundation if you build your foundation properly out of concrete and rebar Mm. instead of pebbles and sand like i did you can learn to live with it and move forward. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that drive me. I'm When I was in Austin, Texas, two nights ago, I went and saw a buddy that I've known for 35 years. And he smokes weed every day, and he's very successful. He said, hey, I quit drinking because it was hurting my joints, but I smoke weed due to my, my chronic pain from being in the construction and all that. But when he lit up his little one-hitter and smelled it, and I smelled that weed, it's like, Man, this, it's just, when I smell mm-hmm. alcohol, it takes mm-hmm. me back to that place that I never want to go oh, again. Amen, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. And, you know, we, uh, as you were in earlier, Joey uh, Perea and I were talking about, uh, Joey had lost uh, his father and then mm-hmm. and his mother. And, well, tell him how, how tell him why yeah. you were your dad real fast. Man. Yeah, what, what happened, Tim, is my father, when I was nine years old, he committed suicide in our home at 3.30 in the morning. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, February the 27th, 1975. Uh, he committed suicide in our home at 3.30 in the morning, and we walked out to see it. And, man, I'm telling you, sir, that was so much pain, but I didn't know how to deal with it. And I grew up in a culture where we were told, take it like a man. So I'm a nine-year-old yep. trying to take it like a man. And then two years later, my mom dies of cancer, so I'm 12 years old at that time. Uh. I'm told to take it like a man, and I realized when I went to rehab uh, at Rob's Ranch, they helped me understand that I stuffed down a lot of emotions and a lot of pain and never really dealt with it. So they had me write a letter to my mom and my dad, and in writing that letter, Tim, I'm telling you, it freed me up so much because for the first time in over 40 years, I cried over my mom's death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, that That was incredible, but the bottom line to what I was doing, I didn't know it. I had everything stuffed down. And I was trying to take life like a man, but the whole time I turned back to alcohol about seven years ago, and I kept trying to drown these emotions and feelings down with the alcohol that I was taking. But the more alcohol I took, the more depressed I got, mm-hmm. and it was just a you vicious compart- cycle. You, com- you compartmentalized everything. Mm-hmm, right. I mean, my, my learning disabilities, being adopted, my brother that was a narcissist that beat me up for eight years, uh, I had a female babysitter molest me. I never told anyone, and I compartmentalized these things, and drugs and alcohol became my solution mm-hmm. to all my problems and pain, when in hindsight, they just caused more. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, it, it, that's you know that's the way we were. You don't cry. You don't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can remember when I met my uh, former wife, Shannon, the first time I met her parents or something, I went to give her mom a hug goodbye, and she was, I mean, my family you always hugged me, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, you, they didn't do that in that family. And it's like, what do you? Who doesn't do that? Right. A lot of families <laughs> right. don't. You know, a lot of families don't tell their kids they love them. Yeah. You know, and and then I got blessed. I I got an oops, and I have a little daughter Mackenzie right now that's going to be three August twenty seventh, oh, wow. and <laughs> God called Nick home and blessed me with Mackenzie, oh, and yeah. my daughter's never seen me drink or use, and you know I have a. 
a 17-year-old daughter, a senior in high school. Tanner's 19, and Max is 20. And, you know, my kids are my world, but mm-hmm. I can't be a father for them now if I'm not grounded. That's and it. people ask me, do you still go to those meetings? Yeah, mm-hmm. I still have a sponsor. I do at mm-hmm. least two to three meetings a week, and I always sponsor one person simple as that yeah amen man you know i'm I'm glad you mentioned that too about the about the kiddo because uh my wife jamie is due with our daughter amelia in october and so this morning we were kind of rolling around whatever and so she was on her side and i put my hand on her you know on her belly and stuff and i did just a little prayer you know and thinking about amelia and i was like um man holy crap i'm about to get emotional by this but i but i said thank god this kid will never please don't Ooh. ever let this kid uh watch me take a drink alcohol man please don't ever let oh, this I'm kid i'm telling yeah, you yeah man <laughs> i'm telling you and and i looked forward to getting up at two in the morning and changing a diaper if she oh. wants to get up at four <laughs> yeah. and play guess what we're playing <laughs> yeah right you know right um, and and i i won't let my wife put an ipad in front of her or any of that i said she's she's not being raised on technology you know mm-hmm. we're we're reading books and doing all the things i did wrong with my other kids oh you want a computer here you go you want world of warcraft go have fun mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. uh unfortunately a lot of technology raises kids today yeah yep. hey tim b- before i cut you loose man i know you're super busy and we're beyond grateful the comments are coming in uh tim ryan thanks for all that you do i mean uh, you'll be able to see it there on the facebook page um hey hey let's do this yeah uh first off i i'll uh Get me, I tell your listeners, I'll give away five signed copies of my book to whoever randomly in Facebook land there. Have them uh, message you their address yeah. and their name and, and, and send that to me, and I'll ship them out Monday. Wow, so I'll great. give away five signed, five signed copies of my book to your listeners. Yeah, man, that's huge. That, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak, uh, I'm telling you, man, just look through the pages of it. it that's the thing is you got to just... Just take the chance. What you know? One of my good friends says you you will, you get refunded your misery one hundred percent back. <laughs> Absolutely, you can have it back. <laughs> yeah, give, give this program ninety days. If it's not working, I will refund your misery one hundred percent. Absolutely free. Seriously, hey, uh, Eric Bowling, obviously Fox News and everything. His son uh, died of an overdose as a freshman. I believe he's a freshman at the University of Colorado or a uh, school in Colorado. And he, one time he was speaking and he said, it's the, not my son. You know, a lot of parents are, are stuck in that hole, like, not, it's not my kid. Can't have it to my kid. Mm-hmm. Right. W- what do you say to that person that's got that mentality? Of, it ain't, and also, like, what are the parent? what are the neighbors going to think? What will they think about this and stuff? Well, man? you know, it's, it, I did an intervention last summer with the family on Lake Michigan. Uh, the family's worth $7 billion. Wow. And I was wow. dealing with the grandparents with their grandson, who had spent a hundred grand on the Black American Express buying quarter pounds of cocaine, DUI, and and the grandmother's saying, "Look, you need to understand, my grandson is not an alcoholic or drug addict. We do not breed those in this family. He has character <laughs> wow. defects." And no. and you know, I ended up leaving, and two months later, the kid called me, and I sent him up to Hazleton in Minnesota. He's still living in their sober living community and joins the Marines in November. Oh, um, and we talk, to, we talk twice a week. And people just don't know what they don't know, and they were worried about what their social circles. People worry mm-hmm. about the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Tim, mm-hmm. I have one last question for you. Um, go ahead. Sorry. It, looking at all the kids and, you know, you're going to the high schools, you're going to these different places and speaking, do you feel like we have a mental health problem as well as an opioid problem absolutely i know our state does 85 to 90 percent of the people struggling with substance abuse disorder also have some underlying mental health issues and that can just be anxiety or panic and right i mean my wife my my wife's bipolar and when our daughter was four months old she attempted suicide Mm. two and a half years sober and and another suicide attempt and what we found out was she was undiagnosed bipolar right now she sees her psychiatrist every other week her therapist once a week works and and yeah i mean i I live with this stuff i I feel like that's exactly i feel like and the problem is especially for the families with no resources there's no help out there there's nothing nothing and 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 if this is a global epidemic pandemic damn it we need free health care we need resources for everybody 
Yeah. Um, they're putting the money in the wrong places. We need yeah. to do something. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, on Facebook, when it says, like, memories, uh, like, this happened on this day, you know, mm-hmm. like four years ago, something popped up one time on me, man, and it was from uh, 2014. And I completely forgot that I posted it. But the first <laughs> thing that I thought of when I saw it was, oh, my God, you are so good. Thank you for not having me back in that place anymore. And what it was is... Uh, it was a cry for help. What I had mm. done um, that morning, I was prescribed um, like Xanax um, mm. with, from a doctor. And so I had was working at a radio station. I was down in the dumps, had a lot of things going on that I wasn't going to, that I didn't know how to address. And so the method, what I thought is I would just gradually be responsible. I'd gradually take, I, would, I was going to take these Xanax. And by the time I was done with my duties at work, it was the middle of the summer. I was going to go up on the roof of this building and just hopefully whatever you know ro- i mean fall asleep and roast or whatever and so i had put on wow. the lyrics of uh we are the champions but it was the part that says i've taken my call mm-hmm. you know like the, all, all that a little and so man i saw it and was like oh my gosh dude and i to think back yeah. then you know what i mean like wow. golly dude <laughs> well yeah, yeah. one thing i try to instill and if people want to follow me on social media, Instagram, it's from Dope to Hope. Mm. Facebook, it's uh, Tim Ryan from Dope to Hope or Man of Recovery Foundation. Twitter's a Man of Recovery. But I instill, all you got to do is put your hand up and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have the specific resources, I will find them. There's resources out there, and a lot of people don't know where to go. And, and if people are looking for rehab, you can go to rehab.com, not rehab rehab.com it's the only transparent website out there that is not owned by a treatment center Mm -hmm. where you can go search your state and see what's available do your damn due diligence Mm -hmm. don't just trust me talk to the clinical staff make sure it's the right fit because it's not one size fits all Right. Yeah. That's the thing, too. It's, another one of my friends says we're not in a this is not a competition against each other. All right. these different. This is we're in a competition against addiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, hey, yes, yes, yes. Tim, you know what? All those books are gone, by the way. I, I, <laughs> I got emails emails at me. So the books are gone, and, and you can get your uh, – you check it out from Dope to Hope, A Man in Recovery. And the uh, my wife, as you mentioned, the, your show on A&E and everything, she pulled pulled that up too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called again? The Hope uh, Hope Dealer? Dope, Dope Man. Dope Man. P-E-M-A-N. Dope Man on Amazon Prime, and you can get my book on Amazon as well, Tim Ryan from Dope to Hope. Well, I got to tell you, man, this is where it's at for me. You know, I used to have my head shoved. I used to always tease, say I had an ego that was too big to, to put headphones over in radio. And the majority of my of my working in radio has been, you know, I'd always say, uh, I know my wife's here, but I'd say I, I spin the hits and hit on chicks, man. And, uh, <laughs> and and I was completely stuck in practicing my addiction to alcoholism. But this is this is where it's at, mm-hmm. man, because somebody's listening and man, we just try to pay it forward, pay it forward, pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so I, you bless the show. You've blessed people out there listening today, brother. And I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Nice and to if meet people you. want me to come out, go go to timryanspeaks.com and send a message, and we'll get set up to come out and give some hope in your community. Oh, that's what I was thinking, man. Is I'm going to make sure that I listen, dude. We're going to make sure that you get out of high school here talking because be it needs to be heard. That's we do a community forum at night, and we get the parents oh. out and yes. we let them know what resources Ooh. are locally and everywhere else. That's what it's all about yeah yeah well, it's Huge. truly been an honor man i really appreciate you guys giving me the 